this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. May the Force be with you always. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. Uh, I thought I thought for a second it was October. I think I was uh, wishful thinking. I'm just trying to, trying to get to uh, November and then February. We've got some awesome Walt Disney World trips coming up, and one of those in February is going to be with my co-host joining me today, uh, certainly a man who is a, a great friend, just like Commander Cody was to Obi-Wan Kenobi, Tom Howell. Well, I hope it doesn't exact that friendship doesn't end up exactly how Commander Cody and Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi ended. But uh, yes, it's always great, Rob, to be here on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I figured you thought it was October, possibly, because maybe you're just so excited about the season two of The Mandalorian coming up. You were just wishing we were already there. I, I figured I, if I bounced us forward four weeks, uh, and, we, and we are going to talk about that trailer that dropped yesterday here at the beginning of the show, uh, certainly uh, six weeks is better than if it had dropped earlier in the summer and we had a much longer period of time to wait. But uh, that six weeks is probably going to feel like quite a long time. And uh, I know a lot of folks out there really enjoy season one of the Mandalorian uh, the season two trailer holds a lot of promise I certainly think the production value of what they showed in this trailer was um, far closer to what we're actually going to get in the show than what we had ex uh, experienced in season one that uh, the trailer they dropped for season one last year certainly they had a lot of post-production work still to do on some of that but uh, season two with the the volume uh, that technology that they've been using to be able to shoot what look like on location sets on a soundstage, uh, they clearly have gotten their hands around how to use that. And it looks like it's going to be an incredible season two if that trailer is uh, any indication. It, it, it was absolutely spectacular looking. Every little piece of it was gripping. There was uh, action, drama, humor. It had everything you wanted. It's so funny because... You know, when they announced, oh, okay, you know, it's going to uh, debut, the season two is going to debut on October 30th. I'm like, oh, good. That's not that far away. I'm excited about it. I can wait till then. 
but I can't wait to see the trailer because I know it's going to show some really cool things and I'm excited to see the child again and the Mandalorian and the whole crew back together. And then as soon as the trailer dropped yesterday morning, I'm like, I can't believe we have so long to wait. <laughs> my, my view totally changed because I'm so excited for season two of the Mandalorian. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, certainly it was implied there at the end of season one that season two was going to be heavily about uh, the Mandalorian Din Djarin trying to get the child back to his people, uh, or if not able to return him to his actual race to to reconnect him with the Jedi, who uh, the armorer basically told him was that ancient race of sorcerers that the... Um, the old Mandalorians had uh, once been in conflict with. So uh, that is certainly hinted at within this trailer and, and actually outright stated. Uh, we do get to see a lot of very intriguing uh, visuals within this trailer as well. So hopefully uh, everyone listening, I'm sure if you are interested in Star Wars, when that dropped, you probably jumped right out there and, and took a look at that. If you haven't, you may want to pause this and uh, and use a couple minutes of your time to get caught up on that because uh, it there are some very cool connections that I am picking up. I, you know, obviously at this point it's all conjecture, uh, but there are some visuals within this trailer that uh, hint at possibly seeing some locations that we've not seen in live action before. Uh, and the first of those was kind of hinted at right off the bat when you see the Razor Crest uh, kind of come into the into the frame as you are rotating around this uh, planet in the foreground and uh, another world is kind of appearing in the distance. The, man, the Razor Crest uh, comes into the picture kind of from left to right and it's wobbling a little off its axis. It's got some sparking in one of the engines, the rear hangar door is flapping open and it is over a, uh, a world that is very whitish gray, which uh, based on some of the other visuals we get later in this trailer, uh, I'm almost thinking is Ilum, which we have talked about on this podcast in the past. I would totally make complete sense for that to be the case. Uh, first of all, you know, the, the stunning image to open up the trailer of the razor crest, uh, you know, first you just see it and then you're noticing, wait a minute, something looks like it's seriously wrong with the razor crest. What is it? What has it gone through? Why is it in this position and why is it heading towards whatever this uh, world is? But Ilum would have been a, an extremely interesting one and totally makes sense as to a place where they would find kyber crystals, you know, where the Jedi would go through, there'd be a temple that the Jedi would go through uh, these uh, you know, the, these uh, trials to kind of uh, move on uh, through the younglings would. And I think that'd be completely fascinating to check that out. But I, I and I think that you're going to get into this a lot. Uh, a lot of the worlds that we see visited, there are some sort of ties to Jedi or Jedi lore. And again, you know, at this time within the Star Wars universe, uh, the, the Jedi are pretty much thought as a legend. You know, they're not really spoken of throughout the lands and there are some people that whisper about it of this race of of beings that were war or warlocks types or whatever the case may be um so it's going to be you know they're going to be kind of trying to follow this mystery this trail from what it sounds like from the trailer to discover where this uh the, these people were where they where they went and who they are yeah. And, you know, certainly, as you pointed out at this point in the storyline, you know, we we have the benefit of knowing a lot more about the Jedi than the characters in world do. Uh, really, at this point, the only known Jedi would be Luke Skywalker. We certainly, you know, fans of the show are going to know that we've got other characters out there who are either Jedi or, um, you know, 
individuals with access to the force that are not technically Jedi, but maybe have some connection to the Jedi. We know that Ahsoka is still in play at this point in time. Ezra Bridger is potentially still out there somewhere in the galaxy. Uh, so there are a handful of people. We've got Luke Skywalker. I think this is really before he creates his um, his school for new Jedi. I think he is still kind of bopping around the galaxy and collecting artifacts and kind of trying to uh, learn about the ties to the to the Jedi himself. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they try to track down one of the most rare things in the universe at this point, which is a Jedi. When you consider the the trillions and trillions of beings in this galaxy and there's a bare handful uh, of living Jedi or near Jedi still in existence that we are aware of. Yeah. I mean, even with the Luke Skywalker, I mean, yes, he's well known by some of his uh, companions and friends and, and, and fight and people who fought in arms with him that they may know that he has some of this ability, but that's not widespread throughout the galaxy, throughout the universe. Uh, so, it, I mean, it still is. And, you know, when we flash forward to even the Force Awakens and they talk about, you know, there were legends of these, you know, these people. And, and you know, so they're still not that well known at that point. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to dive into these stories as we go through and, and see. And I love exploring this time period uh, within the, the Star Wars um, timeline, for lack of a better word, yeah. uh, just because I, I, I feel there's so much there to that can be discovered of how the galaxy went from, um, you know, where it looked like things were starting to come back in order. The uh, the rebellion had uh, had won, had defeated the Empire. They're starting to you know form the New Republic. And, uh, you know, how we got from there to where we eventually saw within um, the Force Awakens, where, you know, it's the Resistance versus the First Order and uh, how we got to that point. But uh, and I, I, I've also heard that there may we may see some uh, inklings of the beginning of the, the First Order within this uh, season of uh, The Mandalorian as well. So that could be another interesting development we'll see in season two. Yeah. And again, there's been quite a number of of rumors and uh conjecture about some of the individuals who have been confirmed as being part of season two of the Mandalorian. Um, certainly we have Rosaria Dawson who has been hinted at playing Ahsoka, which would be really her first uh, appearance with any kind of, within any kind of a live action star Wars. Uh, I believe it's uh, Sasha Banks. Uh, there are people out there who believe that she is going to appear and potentially play Sabine Wren. I believe that is the hooded character that we see uh, kind of in that port environment uh, where Din Djarin is kind of walking and there's all kinds of Quarren. There's a, a couple of uh, Mon Calamari there uh, and it's clearly a, a strongly water-based planet. So I'm wondering if that is going to be our first glimpse in live action of the planet of Moncala, uh, which is where Admiral Akbar's species are, is from and, and where the Quarren are really the other kind of primary species on that planet. So um, I, I do think it will be interesting uh, to see Sabine play some sort of role within uh, this season of The Mandalorian, especially if there's going to be an appearance by Ahsoka. I think we know from Star Wars Rebels that the two of them, certainly at this point, kind of post the end of Rebels, are traveling together. There's uh, They're supposed to be kind of going out in search of Ezra Bridger. 
Uh, so they're certainly on their own quest for someone with a connection to the force. And uh, you could see, uh, you know, fertile ground there for having a connection to Din Djarin, who was also on a similar quest. So um, I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, and, you know, what what were your thoughts about the scenes that they showed that water planet uh, within the trailer? Uh, just, uh, you know... <laughs> It was like most of it. I'm still, I only watched it like three times so far, which is crazy for me because normally I would have watched it 150 times by now. And I probably will break into it again once we get done with this episode. But um, I, it was just, I was trying to decide what all these uh, different worlds that they're in, you know, the, I, I, I love the, the Mon, Moncala uh, possibility. Uh, you know, I, I was wondering if, if it maybe it had something to do with Camino there as well, you know, as a possibility. Um, there are some, there are some different water planets out there that we haven't really explored a, a lot of that there could be some interesting ties within this that uh, I, I find fascinating. But uh, I'm going back to Sabine Wren in your discussion that she um, is likely to make an appearance within this season. I completely agree. I don't, I don't know how she wouldn't, to be honest with you, especially with the, the leaked rumors of it. But uh, it all ties together with the emergence of the dark saber at the end of season one, right. which you know we knew that she wielded uh, well in in Star Wars Rebels, the animated series. Mm -hmm. uh, so it it would totally make sense that she would be out there. One, she's a Mandalorian, so of course that would make sense. We know that she was still in existence; she's still alive uh, at the end of the rebellion. Uh, and she was teaming up with Ahsoka to uh, possibly find Ezra Bridger as well. So it totally makes sense that the Mandalorian, you know, with with the 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 dark saber being out there, would run into possibly Sabine Wren, and that would be a funneling tool to find Ahsoka. Hey, I know a, a, an actual or someone who studied to be a Jedi. I never really technically became a Jedi, but somebody who was within that order that might have some uh, some ideas for you of where you could find some more of the kind. So I, it, it all fits now. How it's going to work, don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah, and it's a very good point. I mean, the Darksaber may very well be the thing that kind of, uh, you know, him tracking down stories of this Darksaber would be something that would lead him to Sabine. Um, I think your point about uh, the fact that it could very well be Camino that we see uh, with a water world kind of in play here is certainly a possibility. We know that uh, Tamara Morrison, who played uh, Django Fett within the prequel films and also voiced all of the clone um commandos that that took place within you know all the films uh is supposed to be a part of season two here as well the the rumor was potentially it's boba fett um but that could certainly be misleading and you know if they did end up on uh the planet of camino at this point if there were any aging clones uh left around tamar morrison would be the perfect person to play them uh as a face character certainly well, again, if you're going to talk about Sabine Wren, if you're going to talk about Ahsoka Tano, you got to talk about Captain Rex. Right. Now, wouldn't that totally make sense as well, that this would be another tie-in to it and possibly uh, drive them to Camino um, for some sort of history, or, you know, some sort of story about what all has gone on. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's... <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't <laughs> contain myself. I really, this, like I said before, it's so funny how I was, you know, ah, I can wait. Now I'm just like, I want it to be tomorrow. I right. want it to, I want this series to start because I know it's going to be 
brilliant. Uh, you know, I, we've talked about it before. Uh, Dave Filoni and yes, John Favreau as well, but Dave Filoni, they're telling the best stories right now within the Star Wars universe. Yeah, it's funny. Speaking of John Favreau, I did notice kind of later in the trailer, uh, you've got the Mandalorian kind of watching this Gamorrean axe fight going on within this uh, old school boxing ring, right? And he is uh, sitting next to this Cyclops character. It's actually an Abyssin uh, is the name of that species. But when that character is speaking, it is absolutely John Favreau's voice. Right. And he For loves sure. to, you know, to work his voice into some of these uh, scenes. And certainly I think that was probably the fan favorite moment from that trailer, I would guess, with, uh, you know, the the thugs around Din Djarin. Uh, he's got, you know, Baby Yoda right there by his side in the floating pram. And, uh, you know, they, they threaten him and you see him twitch his wrist and the... Uh, the whistling whistling birds, right, uh, come out of his wrist, and Baby Yoda takes one look at that and hits the the close button and ducks back coming. inside. Yeah, he he uh, certainly <laughs> forced to figure out what was about to happen. Right, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, that was great comedy, and certainly, you know, the interesting thing about this is you. Uh, I've heard so many people who had not really had a deep interest in Star Wars, and the child was really the thing that hooked them for season one. They are now, uh, you know, kind of sucked into this world of star Wars and certainly have that, uh, you know, that connection with at least the Mandalorian. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they go out and kind of get to explore the rest of the, the star Wars mythos as well. But, um, you know, if that is the gateway drug that it takes is an adorable little mysterious creature. Uh, so be it. Anything that gets people into star Wars is good by me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we found people with so many different avenues finding their way in, whether it be the anim animated series, the comic books, whatever it may be. Uh, and, you know, I mean, even whether you, I mean, ever, I haven't heard anybody who hasn't loved the child. I mean, right. some people may say that he's been overused, overmarketed, whatever the case. Uh, but I don't know of anybody who hasn't just said, oh, <laughs> at least once when the child has popped in onto the screen. Uh, but also, I mean, it, it's a Western. It's it's different. You know, I mean, yes, Star Wars has always been kind of, uh, you know, a samurai Western in, in many ways. Right. But this was a downright dirty, grungy, spaghetti Western style. And I think that strikes a chord with so many, much a much more uh, broad audience. Uh, you know, it, it, there was hardly any reference to the force, even though we saw, of course, the child use it at some point. There weren't that many references to it or references to the Jedi in season one. So there wasn't it wasn't as much of a, you know, that nerd culture of, you know, the, this, uh, you know, this the, the all living force that, that surrounds us and binds us. And, you know, it, 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 so it kind of was able to draw people in and they weren't feeling like it was complete nerd culture. Now. Yeah. You know, interesting to see what happens if they're going to start bringing in more Jedi uh, within season two. But I think that they've captivated enough people at this point that people are going to stick around, whether they wanted to follow Jedi or watch what the Jedi did in the past or not. So, um, it, it, again, everything about it. Fantastic. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, especially as far as Filoni goes, and I and I am seeing the same thing for John Favreau, which is that they understand this multi-layered approach to creating the Star Wars content, which is that you can watch it, you can consume it at just its face value and you can enjoy the story and you can be entertained. 
but there is still enough there where people who have those deeper layers of knowledge can get that much more out of it. And it also uh, is, you know, kind of one of those things where they'll throw a tendril out there that if you're interested in exploring that a little bit, there is other content out there that you can go and pick up, be it books, be it the animated series, be it some of the things that we see within the films that, you know, the average Star Wars fan who's only watching the movies maybe saw it, but didn't really make a connection. All of a sudden it kind of gives some context to something they saw when they watched that film again. So I think that, you know, that's one of the things I really love about Star Wars is, is the world building aspect of it. And the fact that it can be entertaining just at face value, but it can, it can also kind of be a, a gateway to deeper mysteries uh, should you want to, you know, go out there and, and dig into those. And they do such a great job of uh, explaining that in uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, where they, you know, it's mostly roundtable with some of the actors, some of the directors, and of course, uh, Favreau and Filoni uh, there. And I think it was the the final episode where they mm-hmm. really tied into all the different little things that they, a little Easter eggs that they dropped throughout the many episodes and how much fun that was for uh, people to explore and 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 find unique things that maybe the, you know that tie into something some of their Star Wars memories as as children or whatever the case may be or you know if if you haven't had that experience like you said Rob may may have you go diving into the Jedi Temple archives to discover more <laughs> about some of these uh, interesting things you find uh, on set and and throughout the different lands that they visit yeah and I I would strongly recommend that anyone who's got Disney Plus and is interested in kind of what goes on behind the scenes definitely go check out. Uh, that gallery series that they've got um, just the some of the things it seemed like there were a number of episodes that ended with Dave Filoni kind of telling a story or talking about something that he had discussed with George Lucas and you could just see these other directors these other actors these other even you know even John Favreau who certainly has had his access to George Lucas as well as creation as part of creating the series uh you know, they're just mesmerized by the stories that he has and the depth of knowledge that he has. And again, it's it's hard not to catch that infectious uh, aspect of, of just how much he loves the Star Wars universe. So, um, you know, certainly within this trailer, uh, beyond the, the scenes that we've talked about, there's some other locations, uh, certainly the, the location where we see that Gamorrean kind of uh, fight club, I guess, going on. Um, that is kind of a dirty, dingy world. I've heard a number of locations mentioned for that, potentially Nar Shaddaa, which, uh, is kind of, uh, the, called the smuggler's moon. It's in hut space. It would be a, a likely place that someone might go if they were trying to track down traces to the Jedi. Uh, but I've also heard Lethal, which is, uh, the, the home planet of Ezra Bridger and, uh, kind of a key location within star Wars rebels, uh, which would be very interesting and tie into things that we've seen elsewhere as well. And, and certainly a place where um, if there's going to be Sabine and Ahsoka uh, involved in this season where, you know, some of these trails may lead them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you're, if you're figuring out that uh, Ezra Bridger was out there or that Ahsoka is out there or whatever, there was so much that happened in Sabine Wren. Yes. Uh, so much that happened on Lothal that, uh, I mean, basically most of Star Wars Rebels revolved around Lothal, you know, and so if you're, uh, if you're going to look at in there, there's even a temple there. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that it, it, it would make sense for that to be a location. Um, I also love that there was a Tuscan Raider out there, yeah. which, 
you got to believe that that means we're going to Tatooine again. Yep. Uh, so that's another place, you know, if you're going to look for maybe where an Obi-Wan Kenobi was, or of course, Luke Skywalker. What does Luke, Luke tell him to go there and, and find maybe Obi-Wan's old, uh, you know, old uh, homestead or whatever, right. or his own, um, you know, the, it's just so many possibilities out there that I'm looking forward to exploring. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, there were certainly a lot of people talking about the Tatooine tie uh, back to Boba Fett. The fact that the last we saw of Boba Fett, he had been knocked into the great pit of Carcoon or the Sarlacc pit, as some people like to call it, uh, by Han Solo there during the battle at, in Return of the Jedi. What's interesting is that really at this point in the timeline, it is generally believed that Boba Fett would not be in possession of Boba Fett's armor. So if Boba Fett is in fact part of this series, don't necessarily expect to see him in that iconic armor. Uh, there is a series of books called the Aftermath series by Chuck Wendig. And uh, it is strongly implied there that a, uh, a guy on Tatooine named Cobb Vance, who's kind of stylizes himself as the sheriff of Tatooine, um, had come across that armor as part of, um, you know, uh, exploration into kind of the, the elite stores of some Jawas that he'd run across. And uh, it was described as being a full set of Mandalorian armor, that it was pitted and pocked by something. Uh, which certainly the acid from the stomach of, of the Sarlacc pit would be a prime candidate. Uh, so it's implied that Boba Fett did in fact escape from the pit of Carcoon, but uh, you know, that armor was left behind. I don't know if it would have been because it was, you know, compromised beyond where he felt it was, uh, was viable for him to use. But certainly uh, if we do believe in fact that that was Boba Fett that we saw in uh, episode five of, of season one, walking up to the the corpse of the bounty hunter that the Mandalorian and uh, Toro Kalkin had killed. Um, it may not actually be Boba Fett wearing that armor. So I, I think it'll be interesting to explore some of that as well. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, and that would make total sense if that was also a part of heading to Tatooine or if it was the entire reason for heading to Tatooine, uh, you know, the, the knowledge that this armor exists out there or that somebody is you know wielding that armor or whatever the case may be um it's yeah. there's like i said there's just so many possibilities i cannot wait to see where where feloni and, and favreau go with this um you know and, and discover all again it's just a, it's such an interesting time period yeah. within within star wars that there are so many untold stories and and we don't know where all the pieces are during this period right uh so if you fun to, to discover in little pieces and maybe they may lead to other um, novels, comics, shows, right. animated, whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm just excited to see where this all leads going forward. I do think you made a great point about Sabine earlier in that connection of the Darksaber, because certainly the reveal of the Darksaber and the fact that it's in the possession of Moff Gideon as of the end of season one of the Mandalorian, I, I, I find it hard to believe they'd go all of season two without providing some backstory for that, some explanation of how that came to be in his hands, especially since that is directly linked to the Mandalorians. Uh, the last we knew Sabine had given that to Bo-Katan Kreis, who we've also discussed previously on this show, the sister of uh, Duchess Satine from Mandalore and, uh, you know, her connection to Obi-Wan, uh, it would be hard to see them going through this entire season without providing some context for how he came by that very unique weapon. Yeah. I think that that would be uh, definitely a, an easy, 
session of flashbacks to uh, see kind of how that, uh, you know, where the, the dark saber went and how it moved forward. I was also chatting with uh, Pat and Charles uh, just earlier from the Conversations podcast. And uh, Pat brought up a, a point of what he, one thing he was hoping to see, which is a look back at uh, kind of the battle from back in the old Republic between the, uh, the Jedi and the Mandalorians to see maybe some storytelling, kind of see some flashback sequences of that, maybe something yeah. similar to along what we saw in season one, where we saw some flashbacks of, uh, of Jin and the, and the clone wars, sure. you know, and how he was it was saved by the Mandalorians and, and ended up becoming one himself. So, yeah. um, I, 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 I I love that idea when Pat brought it up, and I think it's it would be a fascinating peek back into another period that we don't have a lot of information on as well. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to run out of ideas for where to take this uh, as we kind of move on into into later seasons of The Mandalorian. I think they've got a lot of a lot of potential storylines that they can tell, and you know, like you said, uh, the season one was definitely the the samurai spaghetti western style um i still get that feeling for season two but i do feel like there's going to be kind of like uh, more of of a detective element to this as well as as they track down um you know these these leads uh and try to connect this child back to whoever his species is and the beauty of this is that the species of this child has never been revealed. This was uh, something that George Lucas had never allowed to be discussed or explored. Um, there's talk that he has been involved with this. Filoni certainly is is heavily involved with this. And it'll be interesting to see if this is something that they do consider revealing at some point. Yeah, I, I always found it interesting that we never really uh, was never really announced what what uh, species that Yoda and Yaddle, for that matter, and right. now the child were. I mean, because you know, we know for very well, because it's what the Jedi Temple archives are all about, is that uh, Star Wars is never afraid to title any little thing, give a name to any little thing that pops up on the right. screen. So why do we not know what this what this species is? Right. It'd be it's gonna be fascinating if we actually do delve into it and find more about it and about this species. I don't know. Again, it's uh it's just a question of whether they wanna rip that band-aid off and and you know, kind of remove one of the only mysteries that never gets explored within star Wars. Uh, I know there are people who feel very strongly that that shouldn't happen, but uh, you know, by the same token, I, I think that that is going to uh, interest and excite people. And I think anything that is going to, um, you know, get star Wars, make star Wars exciting again at a time where there's not a ton of content, you know, we're done with the Skywalker chapter films. Uh, there haven't been a lot of other films coming out. Uh, I know that there's, you know, some, some films that are supposed to come out down the road, but with COVID everything's kind of been put on hold. Even some of these series that we were going to get on Disney plus have been uh, slow to slow to move forward. So hopefully uh, I mentioned this last night we did uh, on uh Scarif podcast on their YouTube channel. We had a number of Red 5 uh, podcasts that are part of this Red 5 network that we belong to who got together and we talked about this trailer. Uh, and, you know, hopefully the fact that they have nailed this volume technology and are able to essentially mimic any location on a soundstage uh, is going to do two things. First, it's going to help these other shows kind of uh, get into production and out of production more quickly. And I think it's also going to potentially create a scenario where as the various shows rotate through using that technology, we're going to get more of a rotational schedule for these shows showing up on Disney plus. So we're not without, without any star Wars content for the better part of a year. And then, you know, we get 
two, three months of content, and then we go through another long stretch, I think they could choose, should they should they desire to, to kind of have more regular rotation of Star Wars shows uh, where there's something available every few months. Right. Um, we got really lucky in this that they had shot uh, primarily everything for The Mandalorian uh, before the great shutdown happened, <laughs> and so they were able to just kind of work on all the post-production stuff basically at home for the right. most part or you know some 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 office visits but mostly from home but they were able to get this stuff accomplished now i did hear some rumors that they were prepping the volume for uh, the kenobi series coming up so hopefully um you know some things are starting to get a little bit better here in california where all this uh, where most of the shooting and uh, this stuff takes place um so hopefully that continues and they can get in there and they can work forward on whether it be Kenobi on season three of the Mandalorian, because yes, I mean, everything does seem, uh, and it has to be, everything has been pushed back, went on the back burner for a while until we can kind of get a grip on everything that's going on in the world right now. But, um, you know, it's so funny. We're so desperate. And, you know, when, when we were kids, we would be like three years for a Star Wars movie. Fine. I don't need anything in between that. Any rumors that come out, great, whatever. But now we're like, oh man, it's been like six months. I need some Star Wars in my life. It's so funny. It's less socially acceptable to to spend two years playing with your Star Wars characters with your friends right. when you're in your forties right. and fifties. Uh, you know, as opposed to yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> between <laughs> between five and ten. Yeah. Well, again, we we won't we, we're not uh, knocking on Pat and Charles specifically. Um, at least. Pat's wife doesn't call them dolls, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Charles, I had to do that. But yeah, that's going to wrap it for our conversation regarding the trailer for Mandalorian season two. Certainly would love to hear your thoughts on uh, what you think some of those scenes may or may not uh, lead to. So definitely reach out to us here at JTA podcast via email, via social media. We'd love to have that conversation, but we are going to go ahead and switch gears and kind of get into the meat of this week's episode, which is to talk about clone commander Cody. And we're doing this uh, specifically for one of our listeners, Preston, uh, who is, this is one of his favorite characters within Star Wars, been wanting to do this one for quite some time. And Commander Cody is actually a really interesting character. One of the things that is interesting about Clone Commander Cody when you look into him is you get a realization that not every clone is a perfect 100% uh, match to the original uh, host. Again, Django Fett. So with Clone Commander Cody, he was about a 91% replica. Um, and all the clones had different percentages in terms of how much they matched that original template. But Clone Commander Cody was uh, highly noted within the Star Wars films and certainly the Clone Wars because he was directly uh, attached to General Obi-Wan Kenobi, who we uh, love certainly on this show. He's certainly an iconic character within Star Wars. And uh, you do get to see a little bit of Clone Commander Cody within the films themselves. Uh, you do get to see him quite a bit within Revenge of the Sith, uh, certainly when he uh, ends up having to betray uh, General Kenobi, which was certainly a sad moment for all of us. Um, and interestingly enough, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, uh, with Clone Wars Season 7 having just come out, we get to see that literally just days before he turned on General Kenobi, uh, Kenobi had saved his life at the beginning of that battle just prior to the Siege of Mandalore. And so, you know, he was in danger of, of basically get, getting blown up by a, an incoming missile and Kenobi 
swoops in at the last minute and slices that missile in half and saves Cody's life, uh, only to be betrayed by him a few days later. So one of the interesting things that we've got uh, when we're dealing with Clone Commander Cody, and it's almost impossible to talk about him without talking about Captain Rex as well. And Tom, I know you brought that up earlier. They both were very similar to the Jedi that they served under. Uh, Clone Commander Cody, far more of a rule follower, far more of a by-the-book type clone, uh, whereas Captain Rex was far more prone to challenge orders, challenge uh, command, uh, and very much uh, similar to Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano in that regard. Yeah, I mean, both of them. You look at uh, Captain Rex, and yeah, perfectly placed to be side-by-side with with Anakin and uh, Ahsoka so often in kind of doing things kind of in a roundabout, a different style, not necessarily by the book style. That was Captain Rex to a T. Uh, Commander Cody very much tied up with with Obi-Wan Kenobi and that he was more tended, not that he wouldn't shift things and break a rule here and there, but he was much more by the book in how he did things. Also, uh, one thing about Commander Cody, uh, extremely loyal, um, very loyal to uh, his commanders to his uh, fellow clones uh to the republic uh you know and, and it was you know just part of his makeup uh, you know great strategist a great fighter but you know loyal um you know loyalty was was probably the strongest thing that he had going for him absolutely and you know it's interesting to note that as far as the clones go within uh the grand army of the republic there were basically two primary designations they were either a cc at the beginning of their operating number which stood for clone commander uh or a ct which was a clone trooper cody was uh cc2224 and Rex, who he is most often seen with, in addition to Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, throughout the Clone Wars, is CT-7567. So, uh, you know, they're not necessarily the same level. We do see that, you know, Captain Captain Rex is referred to as a captain. He does briefly get the promotion to commander late in the Clone Wars, immediately like followed by it, right? his demotion, right? <laughs> Didn't like it anyway. Uh, but, you know, Commander Cody certainly had rank on Captain Rex throughout most of the Clone Wars. And we see not just with Captain Rex, but with a number of other uh, higher up clones that he doesn't always leverage his superiority in rank if he believes that that whoever he is speaking with has a strategy that maybe is going to be more effective than what he he is going to propose. So uh, very interesting in that regard that, you know, while he is definitely a pretty staunch rule follower, he was very much open to doing the right thing by the troops underneath him, even if it meant not following a plan that was his own. Again, um, very much like his uh, general in True. many regards in Kenobi and the fact that, I mean, if you've seen him only in the films, you may you may see him as being very staunch, very, I'm going to follow along uh, with what the Jedi Council says and everything. But if you watch him within the Clone Wars, yes, of course, he has his own ideas. He has his own strategies. He wants to do things in a certain way that he feels he is best suited for, that he knows are best. But he's not afraid if Anakin, if Ahsoka come up with an idea that, you know, may work better. He's not against necessarily going against what the the Jedi Council or, you know, some of the other generals around him uh, might be saying some of the other Jedi. 
Yep. And uh, much like Captain Rex, Commander Cody, you know, early on, uh, as he was under the eyes of the Kaminoans, they identified the fact that he had that that ability to think independently. He was one of about 100 clones that were selected for advanced training under this alpha program that was instituted. And that was under the direct leadership of the alpha clone, which was, uh, you know, the earliest clone made of Django Fett, probably the closest match to him uh, in terms of purity of the of the template and uh essentially those 100 or so clones uh kind of went on to be leaders of various areas of that grand army of the republic you see a lot of them certainly cody and rex are two of the the uh most readily recognizable uh but the fact that they got this additional training and then cody was actually selected to undergo additional arc training which is the advanced recon commando training that is what allowed him to kind of customize his armor so when you see clone commander cody within the films within uh star wars uh, the clone wars he is very notable in the sense that he has a visor on his helmet that is very much typically associated with the clone snipers he has some extra antenna that allow him to have additional communication and encryption uh, which is very useful to him given his you know place as second to only uh, general kenobi within the clone uh, clone army uh, he is the commander of the sky corp which is a, a huge uh, portion of the clone army as well, the seventh sky Corps. But because of this additional art training he received, he was not actually at the first battle of Geonosis where we actually see the beginning of the clone wars. So um, that was kind of an interesting little tidbit. We do see Rex there. We do not see commander Cody. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't know that, but that is a fascinating fact. And uh, you know, it makes total sense that he'd be there uh, studying up and, and, and getting stronger and you know using those abilities that he has he obviously he's tapped as a fast learner he knows his stuff he is a good leader and so we want him to be able to you know be at his strongest point whereas that was just pretty much i mean let, let's be honest with you when if you're looking at the the uh, the battle of geonosis the first battle of geonosis uh, it was pretty much just get the guys there and they're basically could be grunts because it's not like there's a lot of strategy to this. We're just going to get in there, get the Jedi out, you know, fight this first battle, try and survive it as best we can. If we can halt this thing or at least put in a, a stopper in it, great. But mostly it's it's save the, the people, the, the, our forces that are there on this planet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other interesting things is that the tie between Commander Cody and this uh, Alpha clone is that uh, that Alpha clone was one of the first clones to really understand that uh, it was important for the clones to have an identity beyond just their operating number. And so what we see within uh, the Clone Wars, especially the animated series, is Rex, Cody, you know, Fives, Echo, all of these clones end up taking on a name that has some meaning to them beyond just their operating number. Uh, it is an indication of their individuality. It is, a, is something that actually serves to humanize them, um, which is something that some Jedi, like Anakin Skywalker, definitely uh, were for. Uh, with Obi-Wan, even though he 
would refer to him as Commander Cody. You know, he definitely saw the clones more as a tool of the Republic, uh, although he still was very mindful of the fact that there were lives uh, at stake when he was uh, undergoing an operation. But there were other members of the Jedi who totally looked at these clone commandos uh, very similar to the way the Separatists would have looked at battle droids as just expendable resources, uh, pawns to be moved around a board. Um, and certainly one of the things that we see and, and that was stressed within season seven of the Clone Wars is these clones did have an, an individual personality to each of them. Uh, they definitely had their own feelings about the, the Clone Wars and their role in it. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that made the end of the Clone Wars so tragic uh, when they essentially had that individuality stripped away by Order 66. Yeah, even more tragic if you've actually watched the animated series, The Clone Wars. If you've just seen the films, you may not tie into it as much. As a matter of fact, um, Cody is the only one that gets, uh, the only clone that actually gets named uh, within the entire films, within the films themselves. Right. You get into the Clone Wars series, then you find out much more about them. You find out that they're all, even though they are, you know, from the same person, they are basically all brothers in some way. Uh, they do definitely have various different personalities. They express them in different ways. They act differently. Uh, they want to, they know that they're different. So they, they try and make sure that they look as individualistic as possible by with tattoos, by different hairstylings, you know, different uh, markings on their armor whatever they can do to kind of differentiate themselves uh, between one another. So, um, again, it's been a while. Watch The Clone Wars if you haven't <laughs> watched it already, the series, because it's so good and it gives you so much more depth into so many different characters within Star Wars, and it gives you a different viewpoint. Revenge of the Sith was already heartbreaking enough, but when you've actually watched The Clone Wars and you have more ties to, yes, Anakin and Obi-Wan, but also to these clones, it, it just becomes that much deeper when the, you know, when the betrayal happens and when all these different things happen after Order 66, it just it becomes that much more heartbreaking. Right. Uh, you know, actually, I, I don't want to go into his entire military career. Certainly, as you pointed out, we we get to see so much of he and Rex and Luke, uh, sorry, not Luke Skywalker, uh, Anakin Skywalker, Ahsoka and Obi-Wan within the Clone Wars. And they're always so tightly tied together. Uh, they're constantly saving each other. They're constantly supporting each other. And really, except for that initial battle of Geonosis, Cody was at all of the major conflicts within the Clone Wars. So he is certainly, it cannot be understated, his service to the Galactic Republic and unfortunately later the Galactic Empire after Palpatine formed the Empire. But when you look at kind of how the situation unfolds there at the end of the Clone Wars where he accompanies Obi-Wan to Utapau. And I did think that it was really interesting. I, I went back and was looking at a couple of the scenes from Revenge of the Sith. And actually, as Obi-Wan and Anakin are kind of walking through the halls of the Jedi Temple, and uh, Obi-Wan is talking about the fact that he's off to Utapau to confront Grievous and Anakin is going to need to stay behind and talk to the council. You can see Commander Cody and another clone trooper kind of trailing along behind them. And Cody reaches out his arm and holds the other clone trooper back to kind of give Kenobi some space because he knows his general. He knows that he needs some space to kind of have this very uh, difficult heart to heart with Anakin. So, you know, he is so dialed in um, 
in service to Obi-Wan, in service to the Jedi, again, it it makes what happens when he is forced to betray Obi-Wan uh, by the implementation of Order 66 all that much more uh, impactful. Well, what's the last thing he does before Order 66? He gives Kenobi back his lightsaber, found the lightsaber after it had fallen uh, during the battle with, with Grievous. Uh, he gives it back to Kenobi, you know, I mean, right. if, if, obviously, if he had any idea that he was going to betray him, why would he give him <laughs> back his lightsaber at that moment? It was, you know, it's respect. Here you go, General, you know, and, you know, let's get back. We've beaten Grievous. Good. We're doing good things. Let's, you know, let's finish this battle here and we'll move on. And then the order comes and immediately without blinking, you know, he flashes the order to shoot him down. It's it's hard. It's really Again, it, it's not as big a deal if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, but I, I struggle now. <laughs> I used to not, you know, I used to, I, it, Revenge of the Sith used to be heartbreaking to me, but now I struggle to watch it because I get devastated at the end for so many different reasons, and a lot of that gets tied in with The Clone Wars, and it's just so many gaps that are filled in uh, within the pre the prequel trilogy um, through that series. Uh, it, it just, it really does, it's tough. It's, it, it's a really, really heavy film to watch once you've watched The Clone Wars. Yeah, it's the depth of relationship that you don't get in the, in the films themselves that is provided by The Clone Wars that is what makes all those scenes so much more impactful. And it, honestly, it, in some ways it makes Revenge of the Sith and even the Clone Wars kind of at the beginning end of it more watchable to me uh, to ignore some of the things that detract from the enjoyment of those films. But I ignore them in favor of the things that I know about the characters that I know about the connections between them and kind of where this is headed. So, you know, there there's a plus and a minus to that. Um, I would not disagree with you in the least that it definitely makes it much more emotionally impactful to watch Revenge of the Sith. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about it, what happens with Clone Commander Cody and what happens with Captain Rex when Order 66 is uh, issued to both of them goes back to the very relationships they have with their individual Jedi generals. Clone Commander Cody is very similar to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the sense that he is a rule follower. He has, you know, the creativity to do things within a certain set of parameters outside of the by the book version of it. Uh, but those operating parameters are generally much more narrow as opposed to an Anakin Skywalker who took a lot more liberties with his orders, who didn't feel that disobeying was necessarily a bad thing if he knew that he was doing it for the right reasons. And it's ironic to me that Ahsoka lives because Captain Rex overcomes programming that had been implanted in him at birth. And yet Anakin, whose programming we see kind of throughout the entire prequel arc, is unable to to break those chains and kind of falls to the dark side. So, you know, we've got we've got uh, Captain Rex, who is kind of the opposite of, of what happened to Anakin. He was able to overcome his programming. Anakin could not. And in both cases, it was because of relationships. Rex was able to shake that programming because of how he felt about Ahsoka and Anakin fell because he could not escape the way he felt about Padme. Yeah. And, um, you know, also we have to go to all the way to uh, return of the Jedi that Anakin 
uh, does come back to the light because of the fact that, you know, he, he was in the most desperate time uh, when he fell. Yes, of course, he's been programmed, as you said, Rob, uh, throughout the prequels to uh, find you know, everything was that could go wrong for him. All these relationships that he had in his life were taken from him in some way, as far as he could tell. Uh, when he comes back in Return of the Jedi, when he comes back and is redeemed uh, you know again i will argue that it all, it all starts in the empire strikes back yeah that his redemption begins right there yeah. once he he's beginning to realize that he has this son and hey i'm very proud of my son he's pretty good he's you know he's a jedi to be proud of that he has family he even finds he has a daughter that mm -hmm. he didn't know it up until that point uh, as well uh, that he finds that out in uh, return of the jedi that is when he has that attachment when he finds that family uh it gives him pause and makes him and has him make the right decision when it's all said and done right and and it's hard for him at that point to understand that someone can make a decision to do something even though it means that people that they care about may be at risk uh, mm -hmm. which was the decision Luke was able to make that that Anakin was not and I think it showed him that there was another path there and uh, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, Admiral Piet not being killed at the end of Empire Strikes Back is a is a direct indication. It's not an accident that he is the only person who fails Vader that does not get killed within that particular film. So uh, I, I don't think you have to look much further than that to see that that, that is a correct assumption um, and has a, a great basis. So uh, the other thing that I would say with regard to Commander Cody is that uh, his life after the end of, of the Clone Wars, um, one of the things that happened with the Empire is they kind of turned away from this clone soldier uh, approach and moved toward conscripting humans, uh, often from these worlds in the Outer Rim, and going with them in terms of uh, the military forces because it was certainly much cheaper uh, and again, Palpatine in general, once he became emperor, his approach was kind of, uh, you know, mass quantity over anything else, uh, which, uh, again, we see in the TIE fighters, you know, no life support, no shields, uh, just vast numbers of TIEs overwhelming their opponents. And the same type of approach was used with the with the troopers. Um, but these clones that were still around after the end of the war they were put into kind of lesser roles, I guess, within the military. And in the case of uh, clone commander Cody, uh, as story would have it, and this is not necessarily canon. It, it delves a little bit more into what we consider legends. Uh, but he was uh, one of the clones that ended up back on his home world of Camino and was training these new troops and, and very uh, quickly became disillusioned with the quality of the soldiers that he was training when he compared them to his brothers uh, that he had fought the Clone Wars with. Yeah, I mean, he would have to, right? I mean, I, well, let's look at, you know, these were trained from a very young age as basically what their life was, was trained to become a superior soldier. And it's part of what uh, Palpatine slash Sidious did uh, during the Clone War era, during the prequel trilogy was, uh, to, you know, look, I can sell this war 
because we're going to bring these clones in. I'm not putting the citizens at large at, at you know into this, you know, so we, you know we can use them at mass. But once he was in complete control of the he's the emperor, and no one's going to take him out of this job. Ah, uh, yeah, you, 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 you're all fighting for me. I don't care. You're expendable. It doesn't matter to me. He can pick anybody he wanted to uh, to fight for him. And of course, if he's just grabbing masses of bodies, they're not going to be able to fight at the level that. Uh, these clone troopers who were, that's what they were born for to do, uh, was going to be. And of course, Cody being, and also Cody being very loyal to right. all his different troopers. Of course, the loyalty also, I think, extenuated to him sticking around and not, you know, getting away from this when the empire, uh, became, and he continued to fight with them and, 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 and work with them as well. Uh, but of course he's going to be disillusioned by this whole situation, but that's not going to keep him from, you know, being the loyal, trooper loyal soldier that he is yeah the other interesting thing about it uh at least the way that it gets described within some of the legend stories is the fact that he ends up because of his kind of disdain for these human uh conscripted soldiers that are replacing his clone brothers is that he starts to kind of look at them as expendable resources so it's kind of like the tables get flipped right you have the some of the jedi generals certainly looked at their clone uh contingent of soldiers as less than human and and uh dealt with them as such and now you've got cody kind of doing the same thing for some of the human troops under his command because he didn't feel like they lived up to the legacy of what uh, the military was that he had served in for most of his career. So uh, there's some irony in that. I, I think we find that type of irony fairly often in Star Wars. Um, but I, 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 you know, it's it's an interesting uh, end game or end story for Cody, uh, given the fact that you know he was incredibly loyal to the Jedi uh, up until he betrayed them, and uh, he kind of becomes a darker version of himself after that. You got to wonder what his mindset was after this, after Order 66. You know, what I would love to know, and we, we get a little bit of a, a piece of this uh, within Star Wars Rebels with uh, Captain Rex and a, a couple of the others that, uh, you know, the clones that were able to uh, remove the chip and, right. and, and survive this. And so you get a little peek into what they're, but, you know, it's those that had the chip still in, implanted within them, you know, and how, what was their mindset afterwards? Did that, was there any realization at what point that they did, you know, completely turn this around or was it like we saw, uh, during the Siege of Mandalore when they, they just completely believed that the, the Jedi were traitors and so that they had to be uh, undone and that just never changed. I would love to delve more deeply into the story of some of the uh, clones that didn't have the uh, that didn't have the chips removed to see what their mindset was. And that may have, if that's the case, that may have affected Cody in, in a different way that, you know, just the order 66 may have turned him into a, a, a darker being just in general. Right. The other uh, kind of interesting potential end game for Cody is that uh, within star Wars legends, there's also this idea of the dark troopers, right? So they're kind of elite stormtroopers. They are, um, they're not, completely human. They're basically a cyborg stormtrooper that were made with uh, the minds and, and some of the consciousness 
of some of these elite arc troopers that had survived the clone wars and uh you know you could end up seeing that being kind of an end game for cody as well that he could have had his his mind and uh, you know, some of his consciousness fed into one of these dark troopers to kind of serve on past the point where his body would have given out. Cause we know that the, uh, the clone troopers, because the fact they, they had advanced, um, you know, aging to get them ready for battle more quickly, uh, they would have also aged and, and died more quickly than typical troopers, which was yet another reason that Palpatine kind of had to go with, um, more of a human approach to staffing his stormtrooper corps. Yeah, I mean, I still go back to mostly the fact that, you know, he knew at that point that he didn't need to worry about what uh, the populace at large thought of him. Yeah. So, you know, he can just put these people within the army and look, I'm giving you a good job. You're getting three meals a day. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you know, we're going to throw you out there without any shielding or <laughs> without any breathing, you know, without any oxygen within your ship. But, you know, it's all good because you're within the empire. But, um, I, there are so many ways this could go. And I, 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 again, it's just more the, these, these periods of time that I, I also think that that would be a great period of time to explore a little bit more what happened directly after, uh, the, you know, the revenge of the Sith after the empire took over and some of these stories of what's gone on throughout the world. I mean, we, we saw a little bit of it and we don't know for sure if it's still canon or not in the, the Ahsoka novel, you know, we found out a little bit more about what she went through and what was happening on some of these other systems, um, on the outer rim and and so forth. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's more stories that can be explored at some point that I, I think would be truly fascinating. Yeah. And I'd be all for seeing more of the inquisitors as well. I, I don't think they ever, I mean, that's, that's certainly one of the uh, areas of star Wars that I think people would have a lot of interest in if there were more stories to be told about them as well. Uh, kind of tracking down whatever Jedi escaped the great purge, but that potentially a story for another time. But, uh, I think that'll wrap it for our conversation about uh, clone commander Cody, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell everyone where you can, where they can find uh, you and Michelle on the Hyperion adventures podcast. Well, thank you, Rob. I really appreciate being on the show. Once again, it's fun being back with you doing these episodes semi-regularly. It's uh, always an enjoyable time. Now, if you want to find my podcast that I do with my wife, Michelle, we do focus mostly on Disney. However, we do talk Star Wars regularly. We just did an episode a couple weeks ago with Pat and Charles from the Conversations podcast. We had a little fun with Rob's expense, (laughs) but uh, we did do a kind of a virtual Star Wars celebration, celebration, since we were all a little sad that we weren't able to uh, have Star Wars celebration this year. So we do talk Star Wars. We talk Disney parks uh, and we, we we broach a lot of different subjects. But if you ever want to find that show, uh, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the very best place to find us is on our own website, Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Dot com. Uh, we're also very active on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And we do have a YouTube channel. It's mostly just video versions of our uh, podcast episodes, but occasionally I'll drop in a, a fun little video or two as well there. And if you want to find us there, just do a search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast, hit subscribe, and whenever we have a new video, you will know about it. Yeah, definitely check them out. He and Michelle are wonderful. They have loads of experience both with the disney parks on the east and west coast uh they've got experience in disneyland paris they have experience on the disney cruise line they have experience at the run disney events so pretty much if you can do it and it's disney they've done it or 
had some experience with it in the past and uh, they are a lot of fun. We're very fortunate to consider them both good, good personal friends and looking forward to spending some time with them at Walt Disney World in February. So uh, still a little ways off, but it's going to get here, I think, before we before we know it. Uh, as far as my podcast, first and foremost, I will plug uh, the podcast that I have started with my wife called the Hoopty Duo Disney Review Show. We do review more than just Disney. Uh, we review Universal. We review really any uh, of the locations down in Orlando where we spend a lot of time. So you can check that out, uh, hooptyduo.buzzsprout.com or on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Hoopty Duo, and you can also find uh, a subboard on Pinterest under uh, the the JTA account on Pinterest uh, for the Hoopty Duo and our adventures there. So definitely check that out. As far as the JTA podcast, uh, you can find us at jtapodcast.com. If you want to reach out to us via email, you can do that at jtapodcast at gmail.com and on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. So that's going to wrap it for us this week. <laughs> right, right. That is going to wrap it for us this week. Tom, thank you so much once again for joining me to talk about this stuff. Uh, we'd be doing it anyway, but we may as well do it for other people's enjoyment. Sure. And I always have fun connecting with you, talking Star Wars. Yes, we would have been chatting about, especially the, the new trailer dropping from The Mandalorian, but all sorts of different aspects of Star Wars we talk all the time. And so why not? If somebody's willing to listen to it, let's put it out there and hopefully they enjoy it. That's right. So uh, everyone have a great week. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to talking with you in a couple of weeks and may the force be with you. 